Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. So we're all uh, getting used to um, working in different situations now, many of us working at home, uh, many of mm-hmm. us working at home with children, many of us working at home with spouses that are also working at home and partners that are working at home. And this came home to roost last week when I was doing uh, another podcast that I do, and um, I was guffawing at a joke uh, that was happening on the podcast, as I often do. And uh, apparently, as I was uh, hooting and hollering about some dumb hockey joke in one room, my wife was on the phone talking about, like, <laughs> the most dire coronavirus coverage stuff you could possibly imagine on a conference call in the other room. So just picture, like, yeah, you know, so many new cases and so <laughs> So her coworkers were... Uh, Startled, to say the least, by that juxtaposition. So the, the, the trials and tribulations of figuring out how to navigate all of this new terrain we're on. But how are you doing? I'm hanging in there. I think, honestly, what I've been telling people is that you and I are, I think our day-to-days are not all that different from self-isolation uh, than people realize. So I think I'm adjusting better than most. Still yeah. trying to figure out the workout situation. I've got like a little crevice between my couch and counter where if I can do the burpees just correctly, I don't hit my hand on anything. So that's what I'm working on this week. That's my big goal. Uh, stop the bruises. <laughs> we'll get to some NHL player workout stuff later in the show. But yeah, that's the challenge. And again, Emily and I are, are old hat at working at home. The thing we'll tell you most of, of anything, morning routine is very important. Wake up at your work time shower, get into some semblance of, of clothes that are not the thing you slept in. You don't have to wear pants. You don't have to get all dolled up. You just have to wear something different than what you slept in. That's very, very important. It's the point of demarcation between your your slumber and your home life and then your work life. And then the end of the day, also very important, you have to figure out a way to cut off work and then begin the relaxation time, which is something I'm sure a lot of people are struggling with if they're constantly plugged into their laptop or their phone. There has to be a moment in which maybe it's dinner, maybe it's when you work out, maybe it's something where you, you end your day. And then from that point on, you just kind of like, you know, relax a little bit. It's very tough when you're working at home, but it's an Those are all great tips, Greg. But I have to say, I have not mastered the demarcation line, and I'm still wearing this Villanova National Championships extra large T-shirt that I'm pretty sure I wore to bed last night. <laughs> got it. Got you. Got to You got to switch up the T-shirts. You got. You got to. You have to have work T-shirt and sleep T-shirt. All right, yeah. coming up on ESPN and Ice, we got many things to talk about, including some news that Emily broke just before the podcast recorded. Plus, the men's and women's coaches from Cornell University talk about the unfortunate ends of both of their seasons both ranked number one both looking like they could potentially bring home national championships to that school and we went in depth with both of them uh, about their plights and um, all that much more on this edition of espn and ice so let's start the show proper shall we from the ice to your earbuds a podcast about hockey featuring things to do with hockey from your friends at espn it's espn on ice with washinsky and kaplan it's ESPN and Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey, all things considered. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter, and I have no idea why I own this Villanova t-shirt. You didn't even go to Villanova. I didn't even go there. I think Villanova's it's my little not sisters. Even in your conference, Penn Stater. No, no. I don't odd. even know anyone who went there. <laughs> 
it was a thrift shop. You know, I think I, I stole it from home. My little sister is probably one of her friends. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's the way things go. One of life's great mysteries. Um, you broke news before the podcast. Spinning siren. Uh, what's going on with the NHL and its employment? Yeah, so the NHL is temporarily cutting all league office employees' pay by 25%. This is obviously due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Uh, the hope, as I was told by league office employees, is that this would prevent them from making any layoffs during this uncertain time. So that's obviously a positive. Um, but the sense I get is, you know, this comes a day after the New Jersey Devils became the first known team in the NHL uh, to cut their employees' pay. I know right as I got this news out, the Montreal Canadiens said they were making massive cuts but laying off 60% of their employees. Employees. I believe there was massive pressure from the club saying, hey, if we're going to do this, we need some leadership and we need, you know, some guidance and the NHL needs to stand with us and do the same thing and show solidarity. And so that's what they did. Indeed. Um, <clears throat> like you said, the Canadians lay off 60 percent of their staff. They have a fund, a uh, six million dollar assistance fund that will enhance in, um, employment insurance benefits, a.k.a. unemployment for a period of eight weeks, ensuring employees will receive 80% of their base salary during this period. So and that's essentially a 20% salary cut, which is sort of almost in line with what the NHL did with its employees. Uh, the Devils and the Sixers announced that they are also uh, dialing back uh, their salaries, uh, pay cuts to employees, four-day work week, 20% pay cuts uh, for those uh, employees, um, and then also, I guess, the leadership of those two teams <clears throat> are also taking um, some uh, some pay cuts as well, volunta- voluntarily. This all comes in the aftermath of yesterday's Board of Governors call, as we do the podcast on Tuesday, um, which I don't think, like you said, is coincidental. Uh, you're going to see more and more teams probably taking more aggressive action. One week after trying to figure out how to pay part-time workers at the arena, we're going to see the other side of that coin, which is dramatic uh, salary and uh, workforce reductions um, as the NHL heads into a period of uncertainty. And again, after the BOG call, I mean, what was communicated there? What's the timeline that they're getting? I mean, the thing that we heard emerge from it yesterday was the idea that we could have games in July and August and potentially play a Stanley Cup final in September was one of the things discussed. So I think when these teams start looking at that calendar, they're saying to themselves, all right, what do we need to do to get our house in order to, uh, you know, not bleed money all over the place as it comes to the next, you know, three months potentially away from the rink? Totally. And I think, you know, the problematic part for all of everybody, <laughs> for all of everybody in the entire world is not knowing how long this is going to last. And I think when we start to see moves like this, we get a sense that they're starting to listen to the scientists and listen to the doctors and understand, oh, yeah, when we said that thing about NHL players getting back into team facilities in a week's time, that was a little ambitious and probably premature. Mm-hmm. The thing I'm really curious about is what are the, the uh, discussions like with regards to what it's all going to look like when it gets back? And what are the priorities? Mm-hmm. You know, is the regular season a priority? It seems like it might be if they're talking about potentially playing games into September, that they want to get everybody back on the ice and play a few more games and squeeze out some more revenue from regular season games, even though you wonder who the hell is going to buy a ticket to a regular season game uh, with the economy being the way it is and you know, if, if you're if you have a playoff team in your town, why on earth would you buy a regular season ticket? You know, you're just gonna save that dough for the playoffs, right? So, um, I'm not quite sure what's going on there. And the other thing about this regular season stuff that I find kind of troubling 
it's quite obvious that in some cases, Boston, Buffalo being two of them, that teams aren't paying their part-time staff as long as the games haven't been canceled. That's kind of a problem for me. Like, if we're going to diddle around with the idea that we're going to still play regular season games at some point, well, that's costing people money, people that probably need that money at this point right now and not have teams just going to be like, well, I don't know, three months from now when they finally cancel the game, we'll cut you a check. They need the the money right now, you know? And so the other thing, too, is that if you're someone who has money tied up into hockey tickets and you're saying to yourself, boy, I'd like to get that, you know, deposit on a sweet back, or I'd like to get those couple hundred ducats I dropped for my family to go to a regular season game at the end of March back. You can't get that money either. Because the teams aren't refunding anybody as long as the games are only paused. And the third-party ticket companies like StubHub and SeatGeek aren't giving money back as long as the games are just paused. It's only through cancellation that refunds are triggered. And so as long as we're in this sort of let's finish out the regular season mode, which to me logistically is stupid to begin with, then you're actually withholding money from people that could probably really use it right now, given all the uncertainty. You know, we see the NHL being so hell-bent on finishing some part of the season. They were one of the few leagues that were talking about it right when it happened. And now we see when it's just 12 days into this pause and they're already talking about it, they're already doing cutting employee salaries by 25% of why it is so important to them. That said, they also need to realize that they're hamstringing so many people, like you said. And I think this entire thing is shedding light on how employers treat their employees. And um, we're going to come out of this a lot wiser and maybe a lot more cynical. It's possible, yeah. Um, Now, when are we coming out of this is a question a lot of people are asking. And frankly, whenever I think of breaking hockey news, there's only one source that I go to, and that is uh, renowned baseball announcer Joe Buck, uh, who was on (laughs) ESPN Radio's own The Michael K Show in New York on Monday and uh, dropped this nugget of information on the air. It's funny, you know, uh, one of the aforementioned daughters of mine uh, is dating a kid who plays in the NHL uh, to go back to the NHL. And I know that they, the players have been told that when they come back, if they come back, it's going to be a week of some expedited camp, and then they're going to jump right into the postseason. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how the formula works, you know, in the NBA – uh, I, I would, God, I would hope that the NFL schedule itself isn't uh, affected, but I, I, it's everything's such an unknown. Nobody can look at you in the eyes and say, here's when they're going to start playing again. NHL camps would open for a week and then straight into the postseason, courtesy of the National Hockey League player that Joe Buck's daughter is dating, Emily. So if you know anything about St. Louis, you know it's a small community, and the Bucks are St. Louis people. So I obviously text my friend from St. Louis being like, you know, I first stalk one of the daughters, and her Instagram's public, and I'm going to this whole rabbit hole, and the other one's private, and I'm like, it must be this girl. And I text my friend, who is she dating? And I call you, and I'm like, Greg, we'll figure this out. I've got people on it. You're like, what? It's Christian Fisher. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Christian Fisher from the uh, Arizona Coyotes. Now, listen. When we get into work stoppages, I'm a wily veteran of having covered the uh, 05 lockout and the uh, 2012 lockout. This is when you start getting into 
my friend's a janitor at the arena and he said that he heard kind of stuff. And the crazy thing about it is that one out of every 10 of those stories is absolutely true. But it's I did, I did uh, inquire with the NHLPA and asked, have you communicated this plan at all to the players in your giant conference calls where there's like a hundred guys in the line? And the NHLPA sadly said, no, this was not something that was communicated from the players association. So, Either, uh, you know, the Coyotes players have gone rogue. By the way, if you're the Coyotes player, don't, don't be buying into this uh, mini camp playoffs thing. You need regular season. You need season that games, regular folks. season. <laughs> yeah, you should be lobbying hard for the regular season. Uh, but, uh, this, this information collected by Joe Buck spread about on the ESPN radio airwaves in New York. Alas, not official company line. From the NHL Players Association. But we, we, Emily and I are committed to tracking down every news tip and lead that comes our way. You know, I, I allotted my 25 minutes on Instagram this morning for this. <laughs> All right. Who, who's uh, I will fir- say this. Who's I, our first guest here today? You know, I will say the first guest. I just wanted to say one thing in a minute though. Oh, um, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions from friends, from random people of when the NHL is going to start again, what it will look like, like that. I think the bottom line is, Nobody knows, not even the NHL. They're going through a bunch of models, and some of those models are probably leaking out and being communicated to the Christian Fishers of the world. But the truth is, we have no idea when this is going to end, um, and we have no idea what it's going to look like. Okay, exactly. first and, guess. And, and we, come back to, we come back to one thing, and, and this will be the mantra on the show. It all has to do with when people can travel and when people can gather. And until we have clarity on both of those things, we got no clarity on anything. All right, guest time. Joining us on the line is Coach Doug Dara of the Cornell women's hockey team. And at the time that their season was canceled, Cornell was a top-ranked team in the country. And, Coach, I just have to ask you, when did this first come on your radar of, you know, this is something that could affect your season? How did you get the news, and what was it like telling your players? Well, we just finished our ECAC tournament on Sunday, and then, when the start of the week, uh, Monday and Tuesday, we, we gave them off. And then I think it was maybe Wednesday night when started to see, I think it was the NBA canceled uh, their game and then we're suspending their season. And then the next day, the Ivy League had suspended uh, all of their sports going forward. Um, but at that point, we weren't really sure because we were out of, ECAC play, there was no more Ivy League play, so we were waiting to see what was happening with the NCAA. We only had two weeks left, and it was all NCAA tournament play. So um, originally, you know, middle of the week on Wednesday, we thought we'd be playing on Saturday with no fans in the building, and that's how we were proceeding. Mm-hmm. And then Thursday, 15 minutes before, we were about to have our team meeting and practice. Uh, our administrator, Anita Brenner, came in and told me that um, that the games had been canceled. So we didn't have a whole lot of time before we were going in to meet the team. So that was a, a pretty tough uh, conversation going into that uh, practice. Wow. What what was that conversation like? What was the message you gave them? It was difficult because we weren't really prepared. I mean, uh, probably about an hour earlier, I had been meeting with my assistant coaches and we were going through practice and uh, we were planning a meeting on penalty kill and all of that. And then, you know, we were kind of on edge because we saw a lot of things getting canceled. So, you know, in the back of our minds, we knew it might happen, but we also wanted to proceed as if we were playing the game. And so 
really hadn't prepared anything as far as conversations with our team went. So went in and, you know, tried to, as much as possible, put a, you know, a positive spin on it. But uh, I said to them, I said, you're probably not going to hear a whole lot of what I have to say right now. And, and most of them, quite honestly, were, were in tears. Um, you know, and I, I said, at least we were able to experience most of our season. You know, we really only missed the last two weeks. I mean, it's the most important two weeks, but um, but we got to have a really special season, a season that was unprecedented uh, for us in Cornell women's hockey, going undefeated in the ECAC uh, regular season um, and doing things that uh, we had never accomplished before. We had never finished the season ranked number one going into the NCAA tournament. So we've had you know, a lot of successes here over the 15 years, but uh, uh, we had never you know, gotten to that level uh, going into the tournament. So, um, you know, tried to point out all the positives that we were able to experience and all the moments that we were able to experience throughout the year and, um, and get in, you know, and, and looking at the spring sports, they weren't even able to, to have their season. So uh, in some ways we were fortunate. So there's some talk in the NCAA about offering eligibility or uh, relief uh, for players in spring sports for seniors who got their season canceled. And I know there's some discussion about extending that to winter sports as well, considering your postseason was canceled. What's your opinion on that? And do you think that's something that your seniors would want to take advantage of? Yeah, we, uh, we met um, right after uh, that practice as well. And, um, the next day, uh, and there were starting to be conversations circling that uh, they were going to give an extra year of eligibility to the spring sports and potentially uh, an extra year for seniors uh, in the winter sports. And certainly, all of my seniors were uh, excited about that um, and were interested in in having that opportunity. You know how all of the logistics would work out, especially. Uh, in the Ivy League, I, I'm not sure how, you know, how all that would um, work itself out. But, you know, for our team, uh, we were heavily reliant on our senior class. And this was, you know, our year to uh, potentially, you know, fight for the national championship. And so um, certainly uh, devastating for our seniors. And uh, if there was any way that they could have a, another opportunity at it, I, I'm sure that they would be interested in that for sure. Um, how, you, you mentioned the successful season that, that your team has had. How, you're obviously a competitive guy, coach, the whole thing. How long did it take for you to kind of come to grips or wrap your brain around the idea of it, of it being a successful season, even though it isn't one that ended with a chance at a championship. To be quite honest, it'll never leave me. Um, you know, we, you know, I go back to other years here and, you know, I look at 2010, we went to the national championship and played in triple overtime and lost in, uh, in triple overtime, the longest national championship game in, in history. And, you know, it, it, it's not as painful as it was at the time, but it certainly never leaves you as a coach. It's certainly always going to be there. Uh, and it's something that, and, I, and that's something that I mentioned to the players too, that, you know, in the, yes, we're all competitive. And yes, you know, hockey is, I don't mean to put it this way, it's kind of our lives. But, you know, when you look at the big picture, there's a lot of things that, 
will happen throughout our lives that are much more important and um, that, you know, are much more tragic and difficult to deal with. And I think sports is, you know, a microcosm and something for, you know, our young players to understand that we're trying to teach them life lessons and help them to deal with things that are going to happen to them throughout their lives and being able to, you know, it's kind of cliche, but deal with that adversity and come back out on the other end uh, stronger. And I think learning to deal with these things through sports also helps you to deal with, you know, even bigger issues and, and bigger things that are going to happen uh, throughout your life. And so, um, you know, I think always looking at, at that. But it's something as a coach that, for me personally, it, it always will will be there um, and will always, you know, you'll always wonder what if. Um, but um, but that's sport. We were just on the phone with Mike Schaefer. He was saying he had to do video conference exit interviews, um, which I'm, I'm guessing that you had to do the same, and that's pretty unprecedented. I'm curious, what are the next unknowns for you? Um, recruiting trails, summer camps, like what don't you know about what the next few months will look like? Well, I guess there's, you know, the possibility if the seniors are going to be eligible uh, for next year or not. Um, you know, when are we going to be permitted to go on the road recruiting again? Um, you know, how does that shape, uh, you know, depending on how long this lasts, you know, are we going to be able to have our summer camps and summer showcases that we recruit at and that we run? Um, and then if seniors are you know, permitted to come back. How does that shape our team for next year? Um, and then there's also the cancellation of SATs and ACTs in the springtime now for, you know, players that weren't coming this fall, but were applying for next fall in 2021, you know, and they're looking to get their ACTs and SATs done for their applications uh, for next fall. So, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of uh, variables right now that uh, are unknown, but they will sort themselves out over time. Indeed, they will. Well, man, it's a lot to deal with, Doug, and we really appreciate your time and shedding some light on some interesting topics for us. And uh, and uh, best of luck to you, best of health to you, and to all your players uh, during this time. Well, same to you. Thanks for having me, Emily and Greg. Our thanks to Doug Dura for joining us. Uh, now let's talk about NHL players, Emily. Uh, you've been on this Two Senators players have tested positive so far, and as we go into this podcast today, the only two players in the NHL that have tested positive both play for Ottawa. That's true. Uh, it's always Ottawa, right? But look, I think one of the things that's really interesting to the public is how players are getting tested. Uh, we've seen in the NBA and amongst our U.S. Senators perhaps some prioritization of who gets tested. Uh, maybe the people with a lot of money can get a private company to do it. That's what they've been doing in the NBA. What I find fascinating in the NHL is it's been a coordinated effort between the NHL, the NHLPA, local public health authorities, and infectious disease specialists. And as of now, the testing is only circled around people who are showing symptoms. Uh, the senators say that they were on this trip. There was 52 people part of their traveling party. Eight of them showed symptoms. They got tests for those eight people. As of Friday, some of those tests had not been released yet or um, we haven't gotten the results, but... 
uh, they're being self-quarantined. So by all intents and purposes, and the senators tell me that they've coordinated everything through the Ottawa public health system. Of course, Canada has a little bit of better health system than we have here, a little more streamlined. Um, the NHL is doing this the right way, and they're not stepping on anybody's toes or thinking they're more important than anybody else and really um, treating this disease with the care that scientists are, are telling us to. Indeed. And, and the NHL has been sort of steadfast in saying that they're not going to – they don't expect there to be like mandatory testing of all players or anything like that. And obviously Ottawa – uh, took a West Coast swing through San Jose, L.A., and Anaheim um, before heading back home, which is, you know, in theory where they picked this thing up. Uh, but so it is – got to be honest with you. I'm a little surprised that there have been only two positive tests so far. I mean, I, I understand the lack of testing is is obviously one reason why throughout society we don't have more positive tests. I mean, one goes with the other. Um, but you'd figure we would have heard more about self-isolation or players with symptoms or things like that. I'm, I'm actually really surprised, um, being how in close contact everybody was and being all the locker rooms these guys have shared, uh, that's only been two players so far. I think this is exactly what scientists are, are warning us of though, is that you can be a young, healthy individual and be asymptomatic and unfortunately pass it on to somebody else because you have no idea you have it. So I would not be surprised if more players have it currently. And just aren't showing symptoms or maybe aren't reporting those symptoms. Uh, what's interesting though is that they did play that game in San Jose and it was, correct me if I'm wrong, right after there was a suggestion that there should be games played with no fans before it was tip, um, officially banned. And I think right now we can never, you know, we'll never know if that's exactly where they got it from, but months from now and years from now we'll always question of whether that was the right call to hold that game. They played three games after <clears throat> Santa Clara County recommended that mass gatherings not happen. Uh, they played the Leafs. They played Ottawa. I want to say they played Colorado was the other game. Um, and all three games happened before the Sharks left on a long road trip. And I have the feeling they were going to come back and maybe play an empty arena game after that. Um, so, yeah, it was it was again. But but like we said at the time, that's where the local governments have to step up and make the difference. They have to step up and make the difference to say, hey, um, sorry, I got noises. <laughs> That's where local governments have to step up and say, hey, um, don't do this anymore. And uh, and so luckily some have. Uh, we should talk about what players are doing. Um, many have taken <laughs> to social media to show people, one, their babies, two, their dogs, three, their spouses and partners, and four, how they're using all of these different people and animals to work out. Lifting dogs, lifting spouses, lifting children on their backs. It is the NHL player workout routine through quarantine. What has been, what have been some of your favorites so far that you've seen? Uh, by far the Ilya Kovalchuk one. And I love, as you pointed out, you're wondering why are the Capitals tweeting this video? Oh yeah, that's because he signed with the Capitals. <laughs> According to your math, what, 1963? It was at least February 1963. That's what it feels like right now. That's how far away the uh, trade deadline is. It's crazy. Right. But the coordinated effort between Ilya and his wife doing those part synchronized Pilates, part muscle, and the smile on his face as he was doing it, um, it was pure joy. Plus, I love looking at people's backyard setups and just feeling so envious of, like I said, the crevice between my couch and counter and what he has in the backyard there to uh, to work out with. The funniest thing I've ever seen uh, in the last couple of weeks was when uh, J-Lo and uh, A-Rod showed their backyard where uh, one of their kids was like playing with A-Rod. 
and the house and the backyard they were in Florida looked uh, cre- creepily like the house in Parasite. And so somebody retweeted this video and just simply said, don't look in the basement. <laughs> it destroyed <laughs> me. It was so damn good. Uh, I liked, I, I, I don't know what the, the 10 push-up challenge is or whether anybody's doing it, but uh, I did like Anjay Kopitar doing 10 push-ups with his uh, kids on his back. That was really cute. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on. And, and I think what will, what I'm interested to see as, as this thing develops, obviously is, how players are keeping fit when they can't go skate, um, which is a very specific to hockey kind of problem. And then the other ish- thing I'm interested in is how are guys with injuries rehabbing? You know, like yeah. rehabbing injuries is something that we all take for granted because they go to these places and they have these specialists and they go on these machines and, and they're able to kind of do it, you know, by the letter of the law when it comes to coming back from an ACL or things like that. But when you can't go to a facility, um, and you have limited, you know, machinery in your house versus at the training centers, um, and rehab centers. I wonder exactly what these guys are doing to work their way back. So that's, that'll be something I'll, I'd like to keep my eye on, uh, as we go forward. Like I just talked to Kendall Coyne and she's in a little bit of a different situation because as women's worlds were canceled, they have nothing to do until April 10th, really. Uh, this is her off season, but she's talking about going to her parents' basement to raid their workout equipment before she's social distanced. She's talking about using her stairs to do box jumps and getting really creative. And it's kind of one of those like stars. They're just like us. So I can't wait to hear stories like this of how guys had to use their true creativity and industriousness uh, to get it done. You know, I'm not going to believe this whole stars. They're just like us stuff until I see what their hair looks like in a month. Cause then I'll know they're just like <laughs> us. Cause I'm getting, I'm getting a little frightened how a, that first daily wager back from quarantine is going to be something. It's going to be like something out of a, out of a, a horror movie when you see it. There's uh, nothing better than yesterday when we had our staff wide call and Greg <laughs> didn't realize it was on video. And for the first four minutes was steadfast and not turning on his video function because he was too embarrassed <laughs> by the way he looked. And then when he finally did, he looked, as many of us pointed out, like a sad fisherman. Like a, like an angry fisherman. They, they, I got inundated with uh, 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 life aquatic uh, gifts and pictures on the ESPN Slack. It was embarrassing. Uh, not embarrassing as our next guest. Boy, I already heard one tale of woe from Cornell. Here's another one. Here's Cornell men's hockey coach Mike Schaefer on the season that could have been. And now joining us on the line is coach Mike Schaefer, who was coach of the number one ranked Cornell men's hockey team, um, which, of course, their season got canceled, as did all NCAA uh, winter and spring sports. And, Mike, I just need to ask you to take us through the timeline of when you got word. I'm, I'm assuming it was from your athletic director um, that the season, the postseason would not go on. And what was going through your mind and how you told your team? Uh, well, the timeline, it was happening so fast. I mean, our, our kids probably were, were, you know, I was on the NCAA conference call with the NCAA committee and, and even with our league. But you know, as I was on those calls, uh, you know, the kids were, they were getting information, text messages and Twitter, you know, um, just out in the, out in the, in the hallway or out in the student lounge. And, and they were getting to know information way before I was getting to know information. So, um, every time we, we, uh, we're talking about uh, playing in front of no crowds or, you know, they were finding out that, you know, schools were canceling their seasons. And so it, it happened uh, all probably within a 24 to 36 hour period. And, um, you know, it, it uh, I think it became reality to, to our players, uh, you know, individually, but the team found out, um, you know, that, that our tournament, uh, tournament was canceled and, 
you know, once we knew our term was canceled and you saw that the things that were going on, our guys knew the, the fate of the NCAAs was also was, was going to come down shortly. And so, yeah, telling them uh, uh, it was a, obviously a difficult thing, but you're just watching, you know, their reaction, like many others, uh, it was uh, unprecedented. It was something that was happening in their lives that they've never experienced. And, um, you know, and I think it was hard to watch them go through it uh, as an athlete, uh, knowing how much time and uh, commitment they put out over the years and, and seeing that they know that the, their dream and their season was over and it was over in a way that uh, no one's ever experienced. Yeah, more than a few tears, too. I, I read your letter that you uh, released on Twitter. I thought it was very powerful. Um, and you were mentioning how difficult it was to see young men cry when they got this news. And I was wondering... Uh, the, the sort of one-on-one conversations you may have had with some of your players, uh, you know, long-time players that you've coached there, uh, what were those conversations like? Well, I mean, it, it's just, uh, you know, the tears. I mean, and you see that every year. I mean, but usually it's because you've been defeated. And, <laughs> you know, this was the unknown. And, and I think that uh, I think they're a lot better place now because they, they've seen what's happened across the world and, and in the country. And But in the, in the moment, it was... Uh, you know, just difficult being guys like we have a kid, a senior, Jeff Millard, who had uh, tore his ACL last year in the championship game and, and fought and got his all, himself all the way back, uh, you know, played the whole season and was really looking forward to really looking forward to performing in the postseason. And so it was it, it just it, it, case by case uh, uh, situation it was just very, very difficult to see those young men, who you know, um, you know, and, and I, as we're talking here, I kind of feel embarrassed to be talking about now almost because of what's going on, you know. Uh, but in the moment, it's it's uh, it was very very difficult for those young guys. And as a coach, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's different because you build towards the, the end of the season. You build over years recruiting these guys, but you really feel for the athletes uh, themselves because as a coach, you know that you're you know you're going to be around hopefully for for a while longer to. to to build again, but these guys, it's, it's it for them. Well, you mentioned seniors and I know one thing the NCAA is discussing is um, eligibility waivers for spring athletes. And I, I think it's coming up in discussions about winter athletes as well, considering your entire postseason was canceled. I'm curious your thoughts about that, because I know it's just not as easy as like, Hey, let's just have the seniors come back because <laughs> there are roster limits and scholarship limits and things like that. So just, what's going through your mind when, when you hear this type of discussion come up? Yeah, I, I I don't see it for for our winter athletes, uh, you know, and, and for a lot of different reasons. I think they and they played the whole season, um, you know. I, I think that they, you know, for us at Cornell, I mean, you know, is a kid going to go back and pay, you know, that much money? They, they don't have scholarships, so they're they are they going to go out and are they going to pay, you know, if they had to pay the whole thing to play another year, seventy two thousand dollars to come back and play hockey for you know another opportunity. Uh, especially when some of them already have their jobs uh, waiting for them to go down to New York City and and uh, begin their life. So I don't I don't know what's going to happen with the winter sports. Um, I just definitely don't know what's going to happen at the Ivy League. With uh, we don't allow graduate students uh, to play. Hopefully they would they would grant that, especially for our senior athletes uh, that uh, you know they had just started their season. They're only four games, five games in. So I think it's it's a uh, much like everything else. It's uh, to be un- unknown, but I do hope that. Uh, uh, especially for the spring athletes, that they get an opportunity to try to compete. I mean, I, I'd be selfish and very selfish, would, selfishly would love to see our, our seniors be able to come back and make another run at, a, at the NCAA. But fortunately for us, we only had three. Mm-hmm. And so it's a much different scenario. But, 
I, I don't know what's going to go on, and, and I don't think anybody really does um, know what's going to what's going to occur. What sort of impact uh, does this cancellation have on the scouting apparatus for the NHL? Getting a look at NCAA players, not only for the draft but also for uh, potential free agency uh, amongst collegiate players. Is, is this a has there been enough hockey played where you don't think it's going to have that much of an impact, or or could a a postseason tournament tournament performance uh, change someone's reputation enough where it's going to have a significant impact and not have those tournaments? Well, I think probably just like anything else, the good organizations, they've probably already done their due diligence and, and the seen players that they were interested in. Um, you know, I think for a couple of guys like our, our guys here, Yanni Caldas and Jeff Malad, I mean, they, they're both two seniors that, you know, aspire to play professional hockey and, and a good postseason would have probably helped them a little bit more. So, I think that with, uh, as I said, with most teams, they, you know, they, they probably have, have had that opportunity. I think the NHL teams probably for themselves, they were looking to see what, how players were going to perform in their organizations down the stretch to, to see if they were going to resign. So I think everybody's in a state of, in a state of flux right now with regards to, you know, contracts and, uh, within their own organizations. And, um, but I, I think, you know, honestly, for most seniors in, in college hockey, I mean, they're, they're probably uh, their opportunities to prove themselves in the minors and, and going forward. Some, the best, I think, best college free agents are probably have been seen so much already that I don't think it's going to affect them a whole lot. Cornell has not won an NCAA men's ice hockey championship since 1970, and this year it felt like you had as good a chance as anybody being the top-ranked team in the nation. You know, how hard is it not to be able to see that through? And what memories will you have of this season? Because you did accomplish so much. Yeah, you, you know, we, we really try to preach to our guys, not what ifs and, and stuff. So it's, you know, I think, it, you know, as a coach trying to live that right now, because, you know, I've you know, been at this now for 34 years. And obviously uh, at Cornell, we've had the opportunity to win NCAA or ECAC titles, regular season titles, Ivy League titles. And we've been in the postseason and, you really, you know, only goal left was to win a national championship. So yeah, it hurts. I mean, it's uh, you you build our staff and and everybody uh, around the program builds towards these kind of opportunities. And they don't come along very often, but at the same time, you know, it, you you've got to uh, we put ourselves in a position like we had in any other year, and you know, we've been ranked number one. But that doesn't in life that doesn't really guarantee us anything. It just guaranteed us a good shot. So. You know, we got to move on, and everybody within our our team and our players have to move on, and and uh, you know, not to dwell on the what ifs, but you already start to, to look forward to the, the following year. And I think that's a, a life lesson for for us in, in, in athletics: is you you can't dwell on on what could have been and what should have been in, in, in your own mind, but rather than kind of park it and move on. And that, that'll be a little bit tougher than normal, but it's uh, it's something that uh, we're used to on a year year to year basis, and. Uh, for these guys, I mean, some of them as seniors are, as I said, they're going to move on to the real world and others, uh, have got to go home and adjust and train and, and prepare and, and, uh, get, get through school, which is not going to be an easy thing, you know, uh, with virtual classroom. I have my own daughter home that's in med school going through it. So it, it's going to be a, a process for everybody. And, and, uh, but it will be tough. I mean, it's tough for the fans, but it's a heck of a lot tougher for, you know, everybody involved knowing that you had that opportunity. For sure. And you may mention your daughter, uh, being home and, and Mike, we thank you for your time, obviously for this interview. Uh, how are you coping personally with all, with all these things that are going on? It's been a swirl of emotion in the last, uh, two weeks for, uh, for you and for everyone. Uh, how are you personally handling, uh, the distancing and being at home and all those uh, aspects of this? 
Well, I think just like anything else, I mean, in, in, in the, you know, just like everybody, we, you, you, you adjust. And, and uh, you know, for us, I mean, teleconferencing, thank God for, you know, uh, this doesn't happen back in 1990 when you know, there was not the ability to, um, you guys make fun of me, but, you know, back in 1990, we've been pretty boring not be able to be able to reach out and uh, see people on FaceTime or video conference or get your work done. I mean, um, I, I think of a, you know, I first started coaching, it was, uh, this would be, you know, virtually impossible. It would be pro- going crazy, but, um, you know, they're just personally just, you know, just like everybody else working remotely, uh, reaching out to our staff, our players, uh, going through all the administrative stuff that nobody wants to do as a coach uh, throughout the course of the year and catching up and getting it done now. And, um, hopefully at this, uh, within a month or two months, uh, kind of lifts and, um, and go forward, but adjusting just like everybody else. And, and uh, I think that that's uh, that's the important aspect of it, and taking care of the house, taking care of our, our family, and taking care of our health, getting out to, to run a little bit, and and, uh, uh, and then video conferencing with our athletes and trying to get some closure with them with their season exit interviews. That's the hardest thing is not being able to face to face to to close the season, but we'll do that mm-hmm. uh, through video conferencing with our coaches. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it, and. Um... Best of luck to you. We know we'll be following you next season. Hopefully it's all as normal. I, yeah, I appreciate it. Hopefully we can get this uh, thing thing going rolling again, and that's uh, we'll start right now. So appreciate you guys having me on, and, and all the best, and help. hope that uh, you guys are safe also. Our thanks to Cornell for uh, having both their coaches hop on with us uh, to talk about a frustrating year, obviously, for their programs and for the NCAA. Uh, no Phil Kessel loves hot dogs this week, Emily, as predicted. The coronavirus has uh, has taken out uh, many many bad takes. There aren't a lot of bad hockey takes right now because there's no hockey. Oh, there's bad takes. By God, we could have an ancillary podcast called ESPN and Ice colon Bad Takes, but they're not about hockey. So we'll leave that department in mothballs for the moment. Instead, some listener mail. We asked you on Twitter if you had any questions or queries from me and Emily, and we're going to get to a few of them right now. Chris wants to know, in your opinion. What is the best course of action for finishing the season? Not to have as a regular, not to have anything, to be quite honest. I, I think the best course of action is cutting your losses now. It's like you're in Vegas and you have a bad beat. And instead of trying to figure out ways to salvage the beat, cut your losses and start next season as planned and move on from there. That said, what, what's your take on that? I am, um, I'm sort of in the camp. I don't know if it was Justin Bourne from The Athletic, my old friend from Puck Daddy, or if it was somebody else who, who, mention this first um but you know i would take my cue from professional wrestling they are right now holding shows in empty buildings in their empty training centers uh wrestlemania is going to be pre-taped uh this year in a training center um and and then shown the weekend when it was supposed to be held in tampa i'm kind of coming around to the idea of salvaging the season through a stanley cup playoff held at a single site in an empty building and you just televise it I'm kind of believing that's the smartest move insofar as keeping people safe. If the idea is we want limiting to travel, yeah, limiting travel, play, we want to have, you know, playoff money, whatever, see if the players are into it. The idea of trying to do an empty arena world cup style Stanley cup playoff is appealing to me as long as we can, you know, look, the first guy who gets, has tested positive for coronavirus in any, any environment like that then all bets are off, right? But like, if you're going to find a path forward, I think that's probably the smartest thing. And again, it eliminates the need for arena logistics, for travel, 
Maybe you pump some money into the local economy, depending on where you're holding this thing. Cough, Toronto. Uh, because the uh, hotels aren't really being filled. I mean, who's, who's to say? But that would be an intriguing option for me as we, we really start, start to drill down on how much time we're going to have left here. Um, Grant Beery wants to know, uh, what's your opinion on the way not only the NHL has handled this pandemic, but individual teams? Is there one club that's a shining example? Anybody stand out for you? And, and the league in general, how do you feel about what they've done? It's hard to point out someone in particular who I think is doing a great job. I know I keep getting emails every day about teams setting up foundations or players who are donating to local um, you know, charities that are in need, whether it be food banks or, or things like that. Um, that's all great, and I, I would be remiss just to mention one club because I'm sure 10 other fan bases are like, hey, my team's doing that too. Um, team's doing it the wrong way. <laughs> I think the Bruins stand out of just uh, how long it took Jeremy Jacobs to come to this deal um, to conditionally pay his arena workers should the games uh, be canceled, I think uh, was really, really just a bad look for them. And according to the reporting, and we're Jemmy of the Boston Herald has been all over it, like the communication has been terrible. Uh, and, you know, they're finding out a lot of this via news reports, and it just sounds pretty awful all around. Yeah, you know, I know today's news with the Canadians doesn't really put them in a, in a positive light, but I thought for a couple of weeks now that they had been one of the more proactive teams insofar as guaranteeing money to their workers um, and not fiddling around with the schedule and postponements and things like that like other teams are. And the NHL as a whole I don't think has done a, a poor job. I mean, I, I give Gary Bettman credit for <clears throat> not trying to – exacerbate things when it comes to the postponement of of the of the schedule um he knew that as soon as there was going to be a positive test in another sport uh that was the moment when you had to put the kibosh on things and i think they've they've moved along in a in a pretty responsible way so far um given that no one knows anything they're not trying to rush back i know that the the salary reductions of staff is going to be you know pointed out and say well what's that about and you know i agree to a certain extent but it's not as if this isn't the first time they've done it this is lockout war footing this is what the nhl does whenever they don't have games i mean it's just kind of what they do um the soccer G, uh, gk which i believe would probably be either geek or goalkeeper i'm gonna go with goalkeeper what person, or I'm sorry, what player do you think the shutdown impacts the most? Positively, negatively, personally, professionally, whatever, and the least. Well, one guy I was thinking about, Emily, is McKinnon. I mean, and the Avalanche in total. Mm. Like, you talk about a team that was sort of like uh, devastated by injuries and limping along and stuff, and now maybe they're going to be, if they you know do come back and play the playoffs, they're going to be in pretty decent shape, uh, much better shape, I think they would be, had there not been uh, you know a slowdown to the season. Yeah, that's a great one. I, I think of Vladimir Tarasenko was mm. so close to returning and so much of what it takes to come back from a, sh- you know, a serious surgery like he had is the on ice conditioning. And I don't, I've been to Vladimir Tarasenko's old house. I don't think he, I know he's moved. I don't think he's built a rink down there in his new house where he can <laughs> skate a lot. Just not being able to do that transitional, um, work to get back on the ice. It's either positive for him because he gets more time and not thrust in, or it could be negative. I don't know. Um, but I think of guys like that who are rehabbing from injuries. Indeed. Um, finally, Steve Fiddler wants to know, with the NHL and the NHLPA needing to make as much revenue as possible when they return, how many additional outdoor games do you think we'll get? Bonus question, how many of these games will involve the Blackhawks? Well, all of them, obviously. Um Except, I mean, we know the, we know the Winter Classic isn't. We know that's going to be the Blues in the Wild. But I I've floated this idea that every team should have an outdoor game next year just to juice the revenue as much as you possibly can. You know, just go all outdoor games every team. 
you know, do who cares if the stands are filled or not? You'll get, you know, double the amount of money you'd get for a normal uh, uh, home game. Who cares? Just, just gimmick it up and try to squeeze out as much revenue as you can next season so those players don't get slaughtered by escrow. I think that's a great plan. I'm all in. Awesome. All right. A couple puck headlines before we uh, uh, say goodbye. Uh, Dateline Canadian Juniors. The Memorial Cup is canceled for the first time in 102 years. 102 years we've had a Canadian junior team hoist the Memorial Cup at the end of the postseason. But um, the CHL and its three other regional uh, leagues, um, they all say, nope, no Memorial Cup this year. The junior hockey playoffs in Canada are canceled. Sad, sad, sad. Indeed. Dateline Tokyo. The Summer Olympics postponed for a year, finally, uh, after the Canadians said they're not going and the Americans are like, we think postponement's a pretty cool idea and the British were the same way. Uh, the government in Japan and uh, the IOC came to an agreement to postpone the games for a year. This has a hockey um, aspect to it in the sense that if the NHL does come back for action in late July, early August. There was some concern about real, finding real estate on its U.S. Uh, network uh, broadcast partner, NBC, considering how many hours a day they commit to Olympic coverage uh, based on their much, much more lucrative deal <laughs> with the IOC than they have with the NHL. Um, but now there, it looks like we'll be free and clear and uh, of any uh, conflict should hockey return end of July, early August, because the Olympics got kicked to next year. Yeah. And one thing I find fascinating is one of the first high profile athletes I saw really speak up about moving the Olympics forward or postponing it rather was Haley Wickenheiser. And she posted on March 17th that she's given it a lot of thought in the last couple of days. Her perspectives changed. Obviously, Haley is a hockey hall of famer, but she's also in the front lines as an ER nurse. So she's got a pretty good medical pedigree as well. And she was just talking about how unfair it was for the athletes who could not train, how irresponsible it was to ask them to train and how the IOC was just handling it with a lot of ins- with insensitivity. So that became the prevailing thought when they did postpone it. But it was great to see Haley speak out um, ahead of the curve. Indeed. Uh, Dateline Classic Games. Emily and I are going to start watching hockey. I mean, we usually watch <laughs> hockey, but now there is no hockey. But we're going to still watch hockey. Uh, we are watching and creating viewing guides for classic games that are streaming on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, there's like 50 games that are currently available. Um, in conversations I've had with people inside of ESPN, there's going to be some classic games headed your way on ESPN Plus in the coming weeks. We hope for certain games. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but as you go forward, a fun little project to, to keep our, our Hockey Jones going uh, as we look back at games. And this week we did the Blues game against the Vegas Golden Knights, the first game post uh, Jay Bo Meester health scare. Uh, that was that crazy scoring 6-5 game between those two teams. And it was it was fun to watch a hockey game. I ain't, I ain't going to lie to you. It was fun to watch a hockey game with 11 goals, especially. <laughs> it, does help. it does help when we pick one. Yeah, going forward, I mean, not every game is going to have 11 goals, but we picked a pretty good one uh, to, to stay uh, to stay focused on for, for three periods. Uh, finally, Dateline, Greg and Emily. All right. What have you been reading? You've been streaming. We've been watching. Give the people some recs. I've been reading Bear Town by Frederick Backman. Greg, have you read it? I have not. I don't read a, a lot of fiction, book. to be quite honest with you. I don't either. It's about a small hockey community and a junior hockey team in rural Sweden, and it's great. It's a really, really 
interesting book. It speaks a lot about hockey culture. Um, it's beautifully written. It's obviously translated in English, the version I'm reading, but uh highly recommend. And then um I've got to say, I've been watching a lot of bad TV. I, I can't recommend any good TV that I've seen. <laughs> I still watch Homeland, if that says anything about my taste. Um, it it doesn't. It. I, we tried to watch an episode of the last season of The Affair, and it was so depressing that I don't know if we're going to revisit it during quarantine. Um, I will say that I finished uh, Everybody Loves Our Town, which is an exhaustive oral history of grunge music in Seattle. Um, it, it, it's really good, and I really enjoyed uh, a lot of it. But when I say exhaustive, I mean, man, there are people that I've never heard of speaking a lot about stuff that I don't care about. But it's also got a lot of really good stuff in it, too. And then um, watching, quite candidly, we've been watching a lot of Beat Shazam, Ruby and I. Um, the game show on Fox, Ooh. which is basically how fast can you recognize a song and buzz in if you know the song. Um, it's very you. It, it's, it is. And when I would see commercials for it, I'm like, that's stupid. But then I caught an episode of it one night, like really late at night. And I'm like, this is great. <laughs> and then so we've, I think we've made our way through all the episodes on demand. If you miss things like bar trivia, if you like music and no music, if you can tolerate the antics of one Jamie Foxx for an hour, beat Shazam, ladies and gentlemen. Not a bad, not a bad sit in these, these trying times. I have another question. We're one weekend. We, we've got to act fast, but are you and I going to fill out a top chef? bracket or something do we get yeah it's top chef started this week um and I, if you want in um ruby and i do do a pool but yeah it's 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 an all-star season oh i want in absolutely you're in um if you haven't seen top chef i don't know Wait. i don't even know what you're doing but like pick up the season because it's all great chefs and it's all all-stars and all the challenges are going to be fantastic and it's my favorite show and i'm so happy it's, and back. it's good that i didn't join week one because i've got a affinity for pasta so you know <laughs> Um, and then finally, uh, Curb just completed its last season last uh, last Sunday, mm. and um, it was a divisive season that some people didn't necessarily like, and there are certain parts of it I certainly did not like. like. It. What? I thought it was widely acclaimed. It was widely acclaimed, but some of the Me Too stuff early in the season didn't necessarily fly with people, mm. and I completely understand that because it really wasn't that funny, but last three episodes stuck to landing in classic Larry David fashion, so very happy with that. The John Hamm episode might be one of my favorite episodes of all time. <laughs> the finale is great too. So, uh, kudos to Curb. Yeah. Kudos to all of you hanging in there. Kudos to, uh, Cornell for giving us two guests today to talk about their seasons. And, uh, I'm Greg Wyshynski. You could read my stuff on ESPN.com. Column coming on Thursday, probably touching on something we spoke about earlier in the show about the regular season. Um, and uh, also have a unique story on Wednesday about uh, a fundraiser in the minor leagues that's um, helping out some people. I'm really excited to read that. Uh, I'm Emily Kaplan. Follow me on Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan. Uh, you can read my piece today about Kendall Coyne, how she's staying in shape with her home workouts, but also what a wild year it's been for women's hockey and just reflecting on that. It's the least amount of competitive games she's ever played in her entire career. And uh, we hope to get some more NHL voices soon. Greg and I are working hard on that. So, um we hope to bring you some great stories and keep you entertained and just stay safe and stay sane out there, people. You got it. All right, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.